Welcome to Live with Lamb. My name is Scott Shallow and I'll be the guest host of today's show. I have worked with Brad for the past 17 years and not only has he been a great friend, but also a great mentor as well. Often referred to as the condo king, Brad is one of Canada's best known real estate figures. Brad, thank you for having me here today and welcome to your show. Thank you and, and I, I want to say thank you for being our first guest interviewer on this show. Um, and, and don't call me Condo King. You don't like that term? No, I don't like that term. Okay. I'm always, I'm always accused of being the self-professed Condo King, and I've never once referred and to And this was a media-generated term, something that you never... Yeah. It's probably true, but I never said it. <laughs> being humble is one of your yeah, best traits. Yeah, of course. Okay. So uh, real estate was not uh, your first path. You've been, you've been in real estate for how long now? Well... Uh, I've, always, I've got to say I've always been in real estate, I think. You know, even when I was a little kid, I always dreamed of real estate. But actually actualizing, or actualizing my, you know, my, my dream would have been probably 84 when I got out of school, university. And while I had a job, it was, it was my day job. I, 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 was, I got an engineering degree from Queens, and, uh, and I, I hated my job. But I, you know, I, I did it every day and, and earned money. And my goal was to get out of that job as fast as I could. And real estate was my ticket. So I, uh, first thing I bought was in 1985. Okay. And you bought, was this a home for yourself or was this an, an investment uh, property? It wasn't a home for myself. I lived with my parents till my, my dad essentially threw me out. He'd had enough of me. Um, and, and so from uh, 22 years old to 30 years old, I lived at home with my parents. And I squirreled away as much money as I could. Uh, and in that time, uh, so the first property I bought was for, I think, about $32,000. It was a townhouse in London. I had started a company. I had registered it with my older brother and my younger brother as my uh, one-third partners. I had $2,000 saved uh, by 85. My older brother was working at IBM, actually, and he was doing okay. And he, he provided $2,000. And my younger brother got money from my dad because my, my dad wanted my younger brother involved in this. So uh, we had six grand and we bought a townhouse in London and, and my younger brother at the time was going to med school, um, year two, I think. And, uh, and he and the three friends rented it from us. Uh, our costs were about um, $400 a month and we rented it for $800 a month, which is unbelievable. If anyone knows anything about cap rates and that sort of thing. It was an unbelievable uh, investment property. And, 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 you know, I told many of my friends about this. and like, oh, it's crazy. You can't do that. It's never going to work. Seems to be working. And, I, and, and really, from that point on, onwards, I was sold on the idea of, of uh, being in, in real estate in some form. So you became a real estate agent was the next step. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then after yeah. several years of doing that, you started your own brokerage. Brad J. Lamb Realty, yeah. and then went on to the next natural, I to guess. be a massive uh, developer. A massive. Not right. huge. So, yeah. yeah, Lamb Development Corporation yeah. was the next thing. Yeah. So now you've built how many buildings? Uh, you know, I don't know exactly how many. It's been that many. Yeah. Great. Okay. So, <laughs> a lot. I could count it off. It's probably like 15 or 16 or something like that. A lot. Getting back to the investment side of things. So you started with the one townhouse that you did with your brothers. And then you went on and bought more and more and more. How, how, many, how many properties, condos, do you think you've bought in your life? Well, I'll tell you, from, from 1985 to 
1989, when the recession came, four years, I, I bought and sold in my early, mid-20s, um, I'm going to say at least 25 properties. I mean, I would buy something, I would renovate it very cheaply, maybe buy something for 30000 spend 2000 renovating it, which would be paint, carpet, you know, cleaning it up a little bit, paint the front door, and sell it, and I'd sell it for a $25,000 profit. And back then, that was huge money right. in the 80s. So I did that a lot. I, I, bought, I bought some apartment buildings. I fixed them up. I kicked out tenants. I put in better tenants, increased the rents. The, the stuff that anyone does on a large scale, I was doing on a small small scale. And, and I was learning the ropes, you know, university of, of property management, really, and, and property ownership in a very compressed time because I was like really rapidly buying and selling stuff. And um, then the recession came. Uh, well, let me go back. So, so in 1988, um, I asked my real estate agent, uh, this character's name was Nelson Malott. He was a very funny guy. And uh, I said to him, um, how much money did you make from me this last year buying and selling real estate? And he said, uh, I got a free TV because I was age of the month, one month. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, that actually meant more to me than the commissions I made because my name was you know, in lights in the office. I made $75,000 in commissions from you that year. And I, at the time, was making 50 as an engineer. So I, so I you know, I was like, well, fuck this. I'm, I'm not going to be doing uh, engineering anymore. I prefer this. And if I do it full time, because I was only doing it part time, I could probably sell real estate to other people, make some money, and represent myself and build a company. My first idea was not to be a real estate agent per se. It was to build a company. And then what happened is I went to real estate school, if you call it school, because it's really not school, especially in 1988. So I, I remember sitting in the first class. I did it in the summer vacation I had. They gave me two weeks at, at the company I worked at, Lincoln Electric. And I, in that two-week vacation, I took phase one. And I remember sitting in the class, looking around, and I was like, this is my competition selling real estate? I mean, people had a hard time uh, you know, using an interest rate Calculator and and you're a guy that just well, came out of engineering yeah. school in the last few yeah, years. We we're building calculators, sure, basically. So right. I, I was I was just like, okay, so this is going to be like stealing candy from a baby. I'm going to sell real estate and I'm going to sell condominiums because I love cities. I, I was a city guy, and uh, so I decided I was going to. Uh, I wanted to sell something I could get behind and I knew, so I I, I immediately started selling real estate in Toronto. Um, and condos. I really focused, I, I called myself a condo specialist day one. I was a specialist of nothing. But I very quickly acclimatized and learned. And the thing about it was that, you know, I think, I think that success is often two things. Uh, being in the right place at the right time and an awful lot of hard work. I think those are two things that really contribute to people who are successful. And I was in the right place at the right time. Nobody was uh, really selling condos the way I wanted to at that time. This was the genesis of the, the condo market, the, yeah. what's become the biggest condo market in North yeah, America. Yeah, it was invented really in 1980, and in, 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 uh, you know, Toronto was, was one of the places that it really caught on. So by, you know, in, 80, in 87, 88, when I got involved, it was early days. You know, it was like startup days. And I worked for a guy named Harry Stinson, who was, who was a 
very nice, lovely man, but he was uh, a bit of a scattered guy, right? He was doing well selling condos, but um, he wasn't as focused an individual as I am. So I, I started working for him, and, and we, you know, for even through the recession, we cleaned up. We were doing, you know, you know back in, in, in the um, 90s, I was 30, and I was probably making seven or $800,000 a year, which today... Of the properties that we're selling for $100,000. Yeah, yes, today it's like millions, right? The, yeah. So the amount of money, was, it was insane for the time, for my age. And, 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 and uh, it really convinced me that the future of housing, certainly in cities, was condos. So let's speak about condos and particularly uh, your path uh, in, in investing in condos and also in the development side, but particularly in the investment side. You've been, you've been buying condos all along through your, through your entire career. Yeah. You've continued to buy them. Well, yeah. So, so uh, the first condo I bought was in 87 in Mississauga, near where my parents lived. I used to go up and down this, this road on the way to work, which was in the city in Toronto. And I saw this model suite for sale pavilion. I went in there, and I remember the guy, Jim, who's a nice sales guy, and I bought a unit there. And I just started buying condos that way from floor plants in, in 1987, about four or five, six like that. And, uh, you know, the idea of, of going into a sales pavilion and waiting four years till it gets completed and putting anywhere from 10 to 15 back then to 15% down... It's like, okay, I can, condos were like 110000 I could put $15,000 down for a two-bedroom apartment. And, um, and the rents were, you know, about 1000 or so a month, so you could carry them as investment properties quite easily. And, I, and there was a very good opportunity to make, in four or five years, $50,000, $60,000. It just seemed way too easy. So I did it a bunch. Um, and, and, and so that idea of, 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 of buying condos from floor plans, when, when it was... So from 90 to 95, the economy was in shambles for real estate in Toronto. Sure. No one was building anything, no one was buying anything. I, in fact, was renting. For five years, I rented in, in the city of Toronto. Um, there's a time when renting can be smart. The, the market was horrible. But it was also a good time to buy. If you had... The, uh, the, the courage of your convictions, let's say, uh, to buy. Um, people did very well in that era. And uh, anyway, so I was approached in 95 by a developer because uh, I was a prominent... I'd, I'd left Harry Stinson Real Estate, started Brad Gillam Realty, Inc. And, uh, and we'd done very well in the years or two years that I had separated from him, maybe two years... Um, and I was approached one of the first developments to come back into the city because everyone had left, no one was developing anything. And this guy was, was a, an architect, former planner. His name was Howard Cohen, a really fine gentleman. And um, he, asked, he interviewed me, uh, and it was a 22-unit building. 24-unit building, it became 22 because guys put units together. And I, w- I had the sole uh, uh, contract to sell that. And, um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a story in itself how I got that contract because initially he, he wasn't giving it to me and I made him give it to me through the power of persuasion. But nonetheless, I got it and I bought a unit there. And that was really the start of, of my uh, buying condos from floor plans. I bought one in 1996 uh, was the first one I bought prior to the, the flurry of the 80s. 
A year later, I sold it. I bought it for $170,000. It was 1,100 square feet. Had parking, faced the city on a park. It's a beautiful building, 20 Niagara, in a, in a very hot Niagara neighborhood. What is now King West? Yeah, it was, this was really the, the start of it all. This little building blew everything up. Like, right, literally, I was selling that building in the new Minto Tower that's like 800 units or whatever it is. There was a, they were making sausages in the, in the, on the ground floor. It was a sausage factory. And I was selling it in the floor above, overlooking the park, stunk of sausage. <laughs> <laughs> and we had this terrible sales area they built. They probably spent $40,000 on it. And I, I was there for a full year by myself every weekend and whenever I had to, to hustle those condos up the door. And I got it done. And that was the first thing that happened. And then from that, I got more and more contracts. And every time I got a contract, I'd buy two or three or four or five condos. Whatever I could buy, I would do whatever I can to buy as many as I could. And I did that for uh, probably eight years till I accumulated a lot of condos. So and some wealth, too, by the way. Right. So you've bought a whole load of them yeah. over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Have you ever lost money no. on a condo unit? I, I've, never, I've never lost money on a purchase of real estate or any real estate in my life. Even, even some of the very large developments we've done, some haven't been perfect. I've never lost money on any of it. And I'll tell you that um, you know, I've been talking about this since, since uh, really 96. So you know, that's 20 years, 22 years. In 22 years, every single purchase, I'm talking about hundreds of condos, like less than 300, but more than 200 condos that I bought and sold. And every single one of them's made money. Some of them have made many hundreds of thousands of dollars on one single purchase. But, but in the early days, it was like sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 for every one that I bought and sold. And, and, and again, back in, in 2004, if you bought a condo for 180000 you sold it for 260000 That's a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. And then, sorry, and then I would take that money and I'd buy more. I never took it out and spent it. So... People looking into this, would you say that you have the Midas touch, or you have you're some kind of savant, real estate savant, or you know this is I, a prefer, pure, I prefer genius. If ge- you must genius, genius. Okay. All right. genius, real estate genius. Yes. Um, or is this just you know this is during a period when continually uh, through the early two thousands and up until the present, many many people in the media included have said oh, the condo market's oversupplied, they're building too many, it's going to crash, the market's going to crash, and all the while you were buying condos. Yeah, no, uh, listen, it has nothing to do with, with being smart. I'm not a genius, I'm just teasing. It, would, would it, you know, I, I, you know if I read a lot of stories, I, I, I don't so much anymore, but I used to read a lot of stories about very, very successful people. Um, now, I, I never had a mentor or was you know, considered anyone my mentor. But I did read a lot of stories of people that did very well. It's always the same thing. It's the courage of your convictions. Everyone's going to blow smoke and tell you it can't be done. You're, you're an idiot. What are you doing? There's so many people that will tell you how you're wrong. Very, very few will tell you you're right. Um, and that's why getting wealthy is very, very hard because there's so many people picking at you every day to try to stop you from getting out of the, of the mess that human beings live in. And in the case of this, you know, I, I've had, I have a relatively big mouth, and I told everyone I could, and many, many, many hundreds of people followed in what I did and made millions of dollars. I, I probably, in, in, uh, in my 
30, year, 30 years this year, this September. It's my 30th anniversary of being a real estate agent. I forgot about that. And in the 30 years I've been doing this, hundreds of people become millionaires because they just did what I said. And by the way, I wasn't splitting atoms. It was very simple. You buy an apartment today, you put very little money down, and you get it delivered. So you buy it at today's price, and in some cases, because developers want to get things sold early, you might get it a little bit below today's price. Maybe. But you get it in four or five or six years. And, you know, that's, that's an option, basically, on a piece of real estate. That's and an option. With a, a great deal of leverage. You're putting 15% yeah, down. You're controlling an yeah. asset that's worth... Yeah. You, uh, have, you, have, you have an yeah. option with six times leverage. Right. 6.2 times leverage, which is unbelievable in, in any asset class. And then, you know, there's inflation in everything, right? So there's inflation in the cost of brick. There's inflation, you know, the brick layer gets an extra dollar a year. Well, that means that that contract, instead of costing a million and a half for a building, it's now a million two. And it just goes up and up and up and up. So what you do know in five years or six years is inflation. So it's, it's, it's truly moron proof. Um, the only thing that can happen is you can have a settling of the deck, which is a recession. And those things last about a year to a year and a half, and they can, they can wipe out your, 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 the five-year or six-year profit that you made. But, I, I mean, I've, I've tracked all this stuff extensively over the last 40 years, and the, the recessions affect average pricing in a very, very small amount. Uh, for a very short period of time. We're talking 6 to 8 to 10% over a very short period of time. But most people in that five years wait, they get 20 or 30% bump on the price. So it's not recession-proof and it's not a guarantee, but it's as close to a guarantee as I've ever seen in my life. And what it takes is, you know, being disciplined enough to create free cash from your general life, right? So you have a job and it's tough to save money. You have to get on a program of saving money. There was a, a, a woman that came to me years ago. She works for me now. And she wanted to buy a condo from Floral Plans. And I said, tell you what, I was a developer of it. I said, you give me $1,000. First I said, how much can you uh, save a month? She was working as a bartender, waitress, uh, server type thing. And doing okay. And she wanted to get into real estate and become a real estate agent. Anyways, we let her go $1,000 a month for 30 months because it took th three years to build it, right? So not only was she able to save $30,000, but that condo she bought for two hundred dollars or $40,000, and today it's worth just under $600,000. So this person has taken zero money because she wasn't saving. The program of $1,000 a month for the condo forced her to save. And she now has three or four hundred thousand dollars, say four hundred thousand dollars in equity. By the time she's thirty, I mean that, like, that is an unbelievable thing that can happen to you. And by the time she's forty, she'll probably have a couple of million dollar net worth. So, right? So anyone can do this. Absolutely. The, the first one's the toughest because you actually have to save that money. Yeah. Once you uh, realize a gain in the first one, yeah. then you have working capital. It's a lot easier. The capital appreciation of the property is a lot of, you couldn't save that kind of money. You could not, out of your no. daily job, you couldn't save the couple well, hundred well, thousand well, dollars or whatever. Look, let's look at that. If you were making 200000 a year as a corporate lawyer, which is a pretty good income, you're going to get 
$100,000 in your genes every year. Actually less, $95,000. So it's about $8,000 a month. Now, you have a kid, you have a husband, uh, you got a mortgage, you got two cars. How much do you think a family can save? Even if, they're, even if, they, even if the husband uh, is making $100,000, the wife's making $200,000. Let's say they can save, let's say they've got $125,000 a year to deal with, so 10 or 12, 10 or 11,000 a month, okay? They might be able to save at, at the best 2,000 a year. That, that would be a lot. That's $24,000. How long would it take for them to save $400,000? A lifetime. 20 years. It's a lifetime. So I'm not, you know, this is not the only way you can make money in real estate. You can make money in real estate by buying uh, homes and renovating them. You can make money by, uh, you know, buying plazas and redeveloping them. There's all kinds of ways you can make money. Okay. But this is... For the the average person that has a job and a family and doesn't... He's not a professional, not a developer, doesn't have a lot of time to spend on it. The easiest vehicle, do you think, would be yes. simply just buy a condo? Now, you, you've written uh, something called The Condo Millionaire, yeah. which is basically a step-by-step guide, the simple rules uh, of how you can benefit from doing this. Yes. And, and they're simple. There's only a few of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if people follow them, uh, then the, their chances of success are very great. One of the main ones is buy with long-term goals, which yeah. we just spoke about. So recessions come, recessions go. But over the long term, when you're buying in a major city like Toronto, it's pretty much moron-proof, as you call it, or foolproof, that I don't think it's a realistic assumption that Toronto's going to be less expensive in 20 years than it is today. Yeah, so there's this constant question in real estate, have I missed the boat? And the answer is no. You've never missed a boat. You know, when, when white settlers were here, uh, you know, burning Indian villages and, and causing havoc, it was a great time to buy real estate. I mean, politically, no, but my point is, is that, you know, 200 years ago, uh, owning a home in Toronto was a smart thing to do. And, you know, there are families going, my goodness, it's $250 to buy that house, honey. I, we can't stretch to do it, right? And that house today is worth $100 million if it's you know, King and Bay. So it doesn't matter that we're at $1,000 a square foot now. We will be at $3,000 a square foot sometime in the future. So don't worry about what's happened. Look into the future. Inflation is a real thing. Population growth is a real thing. Scarcity of goods is a real thing. It's never going to change. And prices will continue to rise, always continue to rise over the long term with the intermittent recession on the way. So if you buy for the long term, like 25, 35, 40 years, or a lifetime, you don't have to worry about the odd recession because you're not a seller. You're right. always a buyer, right? right. Okay. So um, let's talk about uh, one of the biggest issues facing uh, a city like Toronto right now where we're running out of land. Uh, we don't have a lot of developable space in the core anymore. And one of the major topics right now that we're hearing uh, politically and from young people is about affordability. Yeah. People uh, are having a real <laughs> tough time being able to live in the downtown core. So um, a lot of people don't understand what's causing this. There's this tremendous shortage of housing, and a lot of people don't understand or misunderstand what the causes of this shortage of housing are. What can you say to that? What do you think is actually the issue, and how can we possibly try to put some relief uh, in place so that young people have a better shot of living downtown? Yeah, well, so it's the single biggest problem in, in, in the great cities of the world. There's 40 cities around the world that all have exactly the same problem. We're not alone in this. There is no easy solution to be... To give you the short answer, 
but but I'd say we can have we can provide some relief two ways. Um, there is a lot of land that um, that is available to be developed in the city that this, that uh, our city municipality owns, the province owns. In every city, it's the same way. Government owns a lot of land. They need to ex expedite that land into, into being zoned and developed all over the GTA. They need to increase the allotment of homes in hubs around the city. I'm not saying cut into the green belt, but there's allotments out inside the green belt policy that they can fast track and, and grow those cities more. We need to. We need to obviously increase transit to get to those hubs. And the, and, the, and the biggest single thing is politics, okay? So we need a, a city political group, the councillors and the mayor, that are pro-development and they're anti-development. They're not pro-development, they're, they're rapidly anti-development. That's got to change. And the second thing is, is that everyone gets on their high horse and says, you know, affordable housing is my number one concern as a citizen of Toronto. And I call bullshit on that because if it was your number one concern, you wouldn't go to development meetings where developers talk about their 40-story tower and cry about it being too tall. Because, you know, the difference between a 30-story tower and a 40-story tower is 25% more housing. And 25% more housing 100 times around the city is going to make housing cheaper. It's not... We are like, you know... Uh, we're like McDonald's. McDonald's makes hamburgers. They've got to compete with Burger King and Taco Bell, and, and they've got to compete with chicken sandwiches and all of it. And a consumer goes and looks and says, that, that's, you know, I'm going to buy a McDonald's hamburger. It's better value than Burger King hamburger. Same thing with our stuff. We have to be competitive with our competitors, and we have a margin that any business needs to make, and we make that. Okay? So the, the problem here is not with greedy developers. It's a, it's a misnomer. The problem here is entirely with government. Uh, affordable housing is a government initiative. It's not a, it's not a free market initiative. It, you know, you can have affordable food. It's just cheaper food, right? We, so we can provide affordable housing. What is that? That's smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller housing. Right. Well, that's not what people want, right? So if we want to help people, it has to be subsidized by the government. And in the end, if it's subsidized by the government, it's subsidized by me and you. Taxpayers will pay for it, and we're going to have to. We're going to have to give money, and we're going to have to focus on creating this affordable housing for people that cannot afford to live in Toronto. But I will say that it's, we've left, the horses are out of the barn, and we can't get them back. Toronto is never going to be affordable. We need to find realms around Toronto that are within a short commute ride of maybe 30 minutes on the train and repopulate those areas with more high-rise density. That's the solution. This is what you see in... In, in other great cities in the world. You see that great transit, people living not in the downtown core, yes. yeah. um, living in other hubs, uh, Listen, which become great little places. They have uh, density, they have restaurants, you know they what? have cafes. Scotty, they have a direct train from Barrie is 40... We do a reasonably fast train from Barrie, it's 40 minutes. Why can't Barrie have a million people? Let's, let's, let's get Vaughan and Markham and Barrie and, and these places, let them grow and become hubs. Like you're, you're now... Uh, have a... a, a development in Hamilton, yeah. which is, uh, it's a city, it's an urban environment, it's got brick, it's got history, uh, it's got grit, uh, it's the kind of place that people want to be, they want to be in a city. Yeah. Uh, better transit between Hamilton and Toronto is, is continually happening, yeah. um, and so you're going to see people moving on as Toronto gets more expensive into, and business as well, there'll be, there'll be certain types of business that will move into those, those, those markets. Yeah. Toronto will be for you know, massive multinational corporations, and then a lot of startups and small businesses will end up um, doing business in places like Hamilton, and people will move there because it's affordable. Well, so case in point with Hamilton, and, and just talk about this for a second. 
you know, uh, Hamilton is, is, a, is a great opportunity to, to populate to a, a significant larger uh, place than it is today and, and provide affordable options for a while. Yet, the, the government of Hamilton uh, has put a limit uh, of no buildings higher than the escarpment. The escarpment. It's the most asinine program. Why, why is the escarpment... Why does that even come in to... If you are walking down a street in downtown Hamilton and you look at a 10-story building and you're, you're like maybe a few hundred feet away, that building is higher than the escarpment. It blocks the escarpment. Sure. A two-story house does 30 feet away. The right. idea of it being poking through the escarpment... So the problem with this is that, that levels it at 25 to 30 stories. They need to allow 50 and 60-story buildings in Hamilton. For us to really have... Listen, we're going to have to have another 6 or 7 million people in this golden horseshoe. They have an opportunity to do what Toronto missed. Yeah. Toronto held... And they're blowing it. By held this uh, official plan that was done... When was the official plan created for the city of Toronto? No, was, I don't know. A long time ago, yeah. when there was really not a lot of condos in the city. And they, they kept sticking to it. And now we've missed the boat. We've built... 10-story buildings in areas where we could have built 50 and housing would be a lot more affordable now. Is that the case? It's the case to some extent. I think that um, Toronto, you know, never had... It was never really thought of as, as what it is today. It was always kind of a secondary city. Montreal was our primary city. But I think that in the time we've been repurposing Toronto to be a, a world city, we've, we've made mistakes. The planners, the chief planners, have not led in the fashion they should have. They should have been much more stronger government... Um, uh, pushback against NIMBYism. Um, and there's been a lot of... It's not too late. There's still lots of areas to grow. But we need to focus on on finding ways to increase density substantially from where we are today. That's got to happen. So based on where we are today, if you had some advice for any young person starting out now who mm-hmm. wanted to secure their place in Toronto, mm-hmm. said, this is where I want to live for the rest of my life. I want to develop my career, have my family here. What would your advice be to them? Well, I would say you want to get in the marketplace and, and you know, they're going to say, well, it's hard. So, you know, um, if you can't get in the marketplace in, in this downtown core, if you can't get help from your parents or you can't get some relief from friends and family, then look for the periphery, but get in. My first purchase was a $32,000-ish townhouse in London that I didn't live in. For eight years, I put up with living with my parents, which when you're 20, a man, 22 years old, it's not cool. Right. But I did it. I did it because I, I wanted a future. I spent those eight years to get, to get wealthy. It's sacrifice. You have, to, you have to make sacrifices yes. in order to gain. Yeah. So I would say if you can live at home, live at home. Um, if you can't, uh, then you know, save, 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 save. Get in the marketplace as soon as you can. Don't listen to the noise. There's always going to be noise about not buying a home. I'm going to tell you the single best thing, without a doubt, in 30 years of being in business... The single best thing, better than being a developer, better than, than owning 80 companies, better than being a software developer, anything. The best thing, buy your home. You control your life. When you buy your home, you own it. It's yours. No one can take it from you. That's what people need to do. So there's, there's a whole generation now that's saying, you know, kind of flipping the finger at, you know, our generation doesn't care about owning a home. We're going to rent and we're going to live this kind of free life where we don't, we're not tied to having a home. We spend all of our disposable income traveling and having a great time, which sounds great uh, until you come to a point in life where you start planning your future and saying, when am I going to retire? Yeah, well, so uh, 
um, I, you know, I, I think you have to decide on what life you want. So unfortunately what happens is when people do that, generally what I've found when people do that, they wake up at 45 and realize they've, they're kind of fucked, right? They spend all their 20s and 30s and early 40s having fun, and now they've got nothing to show for it. It's too late. And they see their friends who yeah. and took, then, had and, the discipline and yeah, bought and, things, and, and now the other, they own two or three properties. and they're Yeah, and the other problem, or even if they own one, but the problem now is that they want to have a family, and, they, and they're going to have a hard time raising a family without owning a home. I think it's, I think it's a struggle. Right. So my, my advice would be uh, get into a home as soon as you can, make sacrifices, um, and, and um, you know, if that's all you can do in your life is get a home, you don't need to get a multiple rental home. If that's all you can do, then my suggestion is get a house, lock it down, pay off the mortgage, and I think you're going to be fine for life. And on that note, I think um, we're done. I, I want to thank you, uh, Scott, for, uh, for being a guest interviewer today. My pleasure. Great to be here. And I uh, hope everyone tunes into the next episode of... What are we calling us? Two, two weeks' time. <laughs> two weeks' time, live with Lamb, folks. Uh, stay tuned for the next installment. Thanks, Brad. All right.